This week, I'm joined by Alex Perletch. Alex is a commercial real estate agent with Keller Williams Commercial in Portland. He also owns a gym called Apex Performance in Falmouth. Just finishing up a great conversation with him, discussed everything that he has going on in the commercial real estate world. He shares some great advice for people. We also discuss personal training and nutrition, which is a big part of his life too. He's a really awesome guy. I appreciate him coming on and I think you'll really enjoy our conversation. So this is the Randy Forcier podcast. As always, if you could subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple, I would appreciate it. Also on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, it'd be great if you could follow us there too. So thank you for listening. Thanks for your support. Here's Alex. All right, I'm joined by my favorite Romanian, Alex. <laughs> hey, Randy, how you doing, buddy? How you doing? Good. How are you? How's my favorite bit of Fordian? <laughs> I'm doing great, man. Living the life. That Thank you awesome. for coming on the podcast. I'm excited to have you on. I was telling Zach, one of your your teammates, that I'm going to have to keep the mute button close by for the amount of swearing that we're going to have. Oh, I'm <laughs> going to try to keep it low. <laughs> keep keep it minimal. Keep we'll have a good minimal. time. Though. I'm looking forward to chatting about a bunch of different things with you. Yep. But before we get to all that, why don't we talk a little bit about your background, where you're from, how you got to Maine, got into commercial real estate, and then we'll go from there. Yep. So I'm from Romania. I used to work on cruise ships. I managed a gym, so I have a degree in exercise science. I've been working in gyms around the world for a very long time. I own a little business here in, in Falmouth Apex Performance. Came to the United States in 2017. Um, after I got my green card, I started working at the first gym that I could try mm -hmm. to get some clients, which was Anytime Fitness, was not impressed by it. Then I got hired by a different gym and I was their head coach for a little bit. And that just did, it wasn't the, the right fit for me. And I left at another contract on cruises. And I said, hey, when I, when I come back to Portland, if it feels like home, I'll stay here. If not, actually one of my really good friends told me to go see him in Dubai because Ultimate Performance, which is a huge personal training mm -hmm. franchise, opened a new gym in Dubai. It was the first one there. And they yep. were hiring. It's like, you can come and work for these guys or work for my sheik or whatever. Did you end up going? I didn't. Yeah. I, I chose the, the contract on a cruise ship, which was coming to Portland. So mm -hmm. we were doing Bermuda out of New York and it was doing the summer cruise up to Canada. And I said, hey, when, and the stop in Portland, the first stop in Portland, if I walk off and this feels great, I'm going to come back here when the, this contract ends. If not, I'm going to be on the first flight to Dubai. Okay. And as I walked off the ship, downtown it was just it felt like home and finished my contract first of august of 2019 and came back and it was awesome and that's when i opened apex performance and because that's of great. that i realized that i want to know more about real estate leasing mm -hmm. building a property purchasing how will a contract would a bank look like for a build out you know how do they structure it financially what are we looking at in order to monetize the actual building itself, not just against the market that I'm used to from a fitness standpoint, I don't know how to make the money, but looking at the admin part and how to make the real estate profitable itself. So the bank doesn't foreclose on us because mm -hmm. our business ebbs and flows. And I got my real estate license in 2019 and I've been doing commercial real estate ever since. And it's, it's been fun, man. Really fun. Did you know in the past that commercial real estate was something that you were interested in or was it just this process of opening apex up that you started thinking about all the things that you just mentioned it wasn't just this one because i've i've been a part of uh quite a few gyms opening up and consulted yeah. on a few others i always wanted that part of developing to to be a process of in 
you know, financially benefiting from it more than anything, mm -hmm. which I've never had in the past. I was there and kind of got paid for what I did, but that was it. Never really get any kickbacks from the rest of it. So I, I knew that I wanted to do something like that and I wanted to own the building, the, the business and, and so on and so forth, and maybe hopefully spread it out to a few different locations. So I, I knew that I wanted to do that for mm -hmm. over 10 years now. This was the perfect occasion. So I took it. Yeah. So then you're doing commercial real estate, which agency are you with? So I'm with Keller Williams commercial group. I'm within the Magnuson and Balfour team. We do business and commercial real estate. So we do sell businesses as well, which me having a business had a huge, huge benefit to, to working mm -hmm. in a, in a team that sells businesses, evaluates them, looks at the bottom line, and then tries to find the next operator that will come in and acquire it. Sometimes you have real estate attached to it. Other times it doesn't have any yep. real estate attached to it. It's, it's a pretty fun process. And I work with, with some great guys. The Magnuson Belfort team is, you know, some of the elderly people <laughs> there are very knowledgeable and they're fun to hang out and learn from. They, they have gold nuggets to share here and there and makes all the younger people way smarter than we are at times. Makes us look yeah. good too. Yeah. Those are big names in the industry locally. Yep. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, you're right. You're right. Mm -hmm. They're, they're awesome. Kirk, Craig, Scott, Dennis Wheelock. They're, they've been moving a lot of business around for a long time. Some of them. For, yeah, I was going to say a long, long time, decades. So what is the state of the commercial real estate market in Maine? I guess greater Commercial Portland, real Washington. estate is very active. Mm -hmm. Irrespective of what people think and, and how things are moving, the, the market is, is very active. And it did turn more into a skills-based market. So looking from my end of things where I have to transact, you have to be really skillful in order to make a transaction happen. It's not just, you know, list a property and you're going to find somebody out there to buy it. Some of those strategies still work, but not anymore. With the current financial situation, economical situation, especially if you're leveraging and you're com not coming in with a cash offer mm -hmm. to just purchase outright something and banks are involved, banks are assessing risk a little more different now. They're a little more conservative. Yeah, more, more conservative. They're also looking at their portfolio. If they have a high amount of hotels, they may want to switch it up and look at something else. No different than an investor would diversify their portfolio. Banks do the same. Okay. They'll sell out this loan and the other and come in and buy something else. So talking to loan officers, it is very important, especially as a commercial broker, because you'd know which bank wants to buy what. Mm -hmm. And when you find an investor, let's say Alex investor comes in and Alex investor says, you know, I want to develop 30 acres of land into 20 buildings and multi-units. And yep. you know that Biddeford Savings is capped out on construction loans. It's not a very smart play to say, hey, go to Biddeford Savings so they can underwrite you and spend two to three weeks there until they figure out what you actually want and what you have to bring to the table. And they'll say no, and you might lose the deal. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're um, able to make those connections. Yeah. The connections are very important. The market is very active. Unfortunately, I do have to say that from strictly an investment standpoint where people are trying to leverage the amount of cash <laughs> they have to the best of their ability. So going on a 20% loan to value ratio, so 20% down payment, 25. So, so can, they can put as little as possible in the building and the building to sustain the itself. Yeah. Maine has not got caught up with what New Hampshire Massachusetts, Connecticut, down into New York are happening because for the smaller deals, you will see higher cap rates. You will see cap rates in the eights and the nines 
even for the high chain stuff. I we get them through platforms like Crexy and Transon and so on and so forth. So you get blast emails saying, "Hey, buy in whatever area an eight cap or a nine cap or whatever the case may be on on a pretty yeah. large transaction." Up here in Maine, when some of these properties get listed, they're still waiting for that 1031 cash buyer that magically will come as a unicorn and so it'll buy this property. And I'm not saying it doesn't exist out there, but that mm -hmm. slows down the amount of transactions that could happen because they're trying to just shift it so much on the seller making the profit versus looking at how both teams can win. You know, yeah. the buyer comes in and looks at it and says, hey, if I offer you this much money, which is way less than what you are asking, here's how much money I'm making because the interest rate is right here. These yeah. are my returns, yada, yada, yada. So I would say we should catch up at some point soon cool. with enough stalemate on the market on some properties. So just so we're on the same page for anyone listening, basically it sounds like what you're saying is sellers are listing their properties high and mm -hmm. it's almost like they are hoping that someone comes in with cash to buy these yeah. properties or they're doing a 1031 exchange, which is basically like cash. 1031 exchange is taking the profit from one sale and using that to buy another property, deferring the taxes till later in the date. So, or, or a later date, I should say. And those are really the two types of buyers that are gonna be able to buy these high list price properties, right? Because someone that comes in with financing is going to need the numbers to work a certain way to suffice for the bank so they can get their loan approved. So there's a little bit of a disconnect. Those people that need bank financing are a little bit of a disadvantage right now because there are enough cash buyers or there are enough 1031 exchange buyers to keep Correct. those prices high. Correct. And to give you even more context, so let's assume there's a million dollar property to be to be sold and Alex comes in and I want to leverage my money really well and I have a good connection with my bank and my bank says, hey, we're looking at the risk profile of this property. And if you put 25% down, we can lend you. The, the loan needed for this property. So you're basically putting $250,000 down to acquire this property. Somebody that has a 1031 exchange, let's say in excess of half a million dollars, mm -hmm. could go to the bank as well and leverage and get a loan, but they're actually gonna be the ones that could go up and say, hey, I can pay 1.1 or $1.2 million mm -hmm. for this property because they're leveraging much more money. So their loan to value ratio would be different than yours. Most likely their cash on cash return is lower, mm -hmm. but it the risk the property a little bit and they're the ones that could potentially offer more. But yeah. if they decide to not do the 1031 exchange and actually take their cash out and pay taxes on it, most likely they could be left with the 250 that Alex comes in and tries to leverage yeah. with this. So it's a much better deal for them to leverage that way. So yeah. that's where the discrepancy is. They'll bid against you and they have the ability to go back to the bank and say, I want to offer more or, or change the mm -hmm. prices around. It's still underwrites. And a 1031 exchange is something that borrowers have a 90 day time limit to identify a property or 180 days. I forget the amount of time, but there is a, there is a shot clock essentially. Like there's there, a deadline yes. to when. So if you, you catch someone that is period and then you have a closing period to it. Yeah. So, so if you have someone that's running out of time, they're also more likely to overpay or at least slightly to get a deal under, under contract. Even so again, it just dump kind of, it into it. Yes. Just yeah. they're yeah. at risk. They they have to do it now or never. 
you yeah. you may see people doing a 1031 exchange in 15 days because that's all they got yeah. they have to close yeah. so they would rather overpay for a property by a little bit than pay a bunch of taxes and again it makes it hard for people that are financing like you said trying to leverage the money that they have compete with that because those people are going to be willing to spend more as opposed to paying taxes or if they have cash those people are just looking to do something different with their money than someone that's just trying to, to leverage their money. So it is an interesting yeah. market. Hopefully things change in time. I don't but know if it's a sign of a bad active. market. It, it's a very active market. If people are not stuck in an actual geographical area of investment, which sometimes mm -hmm. they could do to various ways mm -hmm. of managing their properties. But if they're not stuck into a, a certain area and they're willing to, you know, look, everywhere in Maine and they have the ability to manage across the state and, and not necessarily you don't have to go to Prescott for it, but at least within a certain geographical location, that is easier. more than greater Portland, let's say if, if I buy, mm -hmm. I want to be in greater Portland because, you know, I have kids, you have kids. I don't want to travel mm -hmm. to manage properties up in Bangor, um, mm -hmm. but you could find better deals from a return standpoint up in Bangor at the moment than right here in downtown right Portland. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, I don't know the right, right way to word this because I do work with a lot of residential real estate agents, but how different is it in your world in commercial real estate than it is residential? And does it ever present issues when you have to work with a residential agent that's kind of working on the commercial side of things? Yes, there are quite a few issues and the issues usually come from an underwriting standpoint, evaluation of a property. Oftentimes in residential, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're doing most of their underwriting for them. Because when the mm -hmm. person comes in with the letter from Randy and it says person approved for a million dollars, all they have to do from a buying standpoint is find them less than a million dollar property and they'll be just mm -hmm. fine because you did the underwriting for them. Yep. Now, both on the listing and, and buying side, you're looking at a few elements. You're looking at how a bank would be able to transact this. So you're looking at loan to value ratio. You're looking at debt service coverage ratio. You're looking at, depending on the debt covenant that each bank has, that you want to inform your person what that means to them, which, which means that we're going to buy the million dollar property. It has two tenants in it. So a tenant concentration is, is quite high. One tenant owns 80% of the rentable square footage. The other tenant owns 20% of the rentable square footage. And it happens that, I don't know, year two, major tenant defaults for some reason, files for bankruptcy and fucks off summer shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I forgot to mute it. Just disappears, goes to Bahamas. I don't know. Yeah. All of a sudden, now you have an empty property. Now, banks tend to test accounts in order to see the income that's producing from those accounts. Mm -hmm. You now having 20% of the income being given to you, you're actually in risk of default. Yeah. So the bank will come to you and say, hey, Alex, we need to sit down. How long do you think it'll take you to fill this place back up? You'd say a month or two or five or whatever. Bank will say, well, I don't think it'll be a month. So we think it may be up to a year until you're able to put a tenant in here. For us to be covered as a bank, we need you to front load a year worth of mortgage. So you're going to have to put in an account, a year worth of mortgage. 
and, and you'd be good. And the bank will keep calling you to figure out if you filled it up. So these are things that when you buy a residential property, nobody really talks about. When you buy a commercial property, they're very important to know and understand, especially if you're on a buyer side. Yep. When you're on a seller side, when you're trying to list the property, it's very important to look at who you're targeting. Who's your avatar buyer? Is this property the best to be sold to an owner occupier? Is that person going to give you the most amount of money for it? Is this property best utilized by an investor? Is that person going to give you the most amount of money? So you, you got to assess it that way as well. Another thing is interest rate matters a lot. So as much as interest rate may or may not matter in the residential side where the people are like, here's your mortgage, can you afford it or not? Interest rate matters a lot in commercial real estate. And the main reason is that you do not have a 25 to 30 year interest rate lock. No, it's it's a five years lock for 10 at best. If you're really good with your bank and you beat them yeah. down, but Typically you get a property that has an interest rate lock for five years. Okay. And you bought a year and a half ago at two and a half interest rate. And this property has a flat rate lease for 10 years. Okay. In year five, you're two and a half percent on locks and it's a seven. And you have no ability to change the lease on that tenant. You're in big trouble. Yeah, absolutely. So these are a lot of elements that are not talked about, but I would say mm -hmm. the biggest, biggest difference is the underwriting part of a loan, both from a selling standpoint or a mm -hmm. buying standpoint in commercial real estate compared to residential real estate. So mm -hmm. market valuation is, is very different. I bet. Now, what are some of the examples of the type of projects that you've closed on over the years? Is it, is it, large scale multifamily residential? Is it office building? Is it industrial? Like what's, what are you seeing out there in your experience? So I've done for me, surprisingly, I've positioned myself predominantly on the buyer side, both leasing mm -hmm. and, and acquiring properties. One of my biggest clients is an investment banker from New Jersey that worked on wall street for a, numerous years. He, just retired last summer and in the last few months we bought four properties together just to give you a recent example we just closed on mm -hmm. one last wednesday which is a 22,000 square foot office building on 7,000 square feet of a floor so three floors of 7,000 square feet yep and it's it's a redevelopment play the the seller is going to remain as one of the tenants taking one floor. We're going to rehab the other two, release it and try to recapitalize the building itself. Another building that we bought together is partly office space, partly light industrial. Yeah. Turning over leases is a huge, huge advantage and a very good way to try to improve the income that a building would produce. So I would say that I found myself either through leasing or buying on almost all verticals that commercial real estate offers from yep. office to industrial to, to multifamily, a lot yep. of owner occupied in, in the greater Portland area, which are the ones that can actually afford those asking prices and investments. Yeah, I was going to say, because owner occupants probably value a place a little bit different than someone that's strictly looking at the numbers where the numbers have to make sense. Otherwise, like an owner occupants, like, okay, if the numbers are close or maybe they don't even make sense, well, at least this is going to be where I operate my building for a certain amount of time. So there's some value in that. Absolutely. So an owner occupied business would be similar to 
what you see in an owner-occupied multi-unit situation that you'd you'd write a mortgage for. I'll give you an example. An HVAC company I put in Scarborough, the way it actually works, especially if you're getting a hold of the whole building, they came in, we used SBA financing, which is Small Business Administration. They are a quasi-lender, so they do help solidify and guarantee the loans for a bank itself. So bank risk is less. So my client, the buyer came in with only 10% down, SBA gave 40% and the bank gave 50%. And this was also added to an improvement loan itself to the building. So all of this will be paid through a pass-through mortgage. So whatever the value of the mortgage for that property is, that's the only thing that goes through the holdings. So therefore, there's no debt service coverage ratio that will be a 1.2 and above here. This is a one-to-one ratio because the business itself guarantees for it. Pardon me. And then the the owner itself personally guarantees for it with some other assets yeah. that, that he owns. But this is the only time when a bank would go for a one-to-one ratio. If if your mortgage is 100000 he pays 100000 yeah. So it's called a pass-through yeah. lease. So yeah, other people wouldn't necessarily be able to, to get the financing as investors with with those type a- of numbers. Absolutely not. Imagine you, you'd get a loan in the example that we had with a six cap on a 6% interest rate. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the banks don't no lend like that. There's, the risk is, is too much. Mm-hmm. So. so, well, hey, it's good to know that you are capable of helping anybody looking for commercial properties, regardless of the vertical that it's in. Absolutely. It's, um, it's actually quite fun. Commercial is so different than residential. Everybody comes in and they have an idea of how they want to invest. And my job is to try to find it. Or if they want to list the property, um, mm-hmm. we've got to sit down and see who's your best avatar. You know, who's yep. your best buyer? This is your yep. best buyer. This is your second best. This is the person that's going to give you the least amount of money. And it's understandable. So when an offer comes in for a listing that we have in the office, it's not like, oh my God, why did it came so low? said, because this mm-hmm. is the type of buyer that is trying to right now purchase your property. Do you want to wait for this type of buyer, which is, you know, much less chance that we're going to find this one in the current environment or not, depending on what mm-hmm. we're looking at say, Hey, this is the first one that came in. We do have a high chance of these people looking at it and you may get a better number. But if it comes from this pool where they're trying to leverage 2080, this is consistently the number that we're going to see. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Makes sense. What advice would you have for anyone thinking about investing in commercial real estate and maybe someone on the newer side of things? The best advice that I can give them, and I've learned this through looking through the lens of my biggest client, and he is a bankruptcy banker, uh, is that you have to be careful not to over leverage. You have to be prepared with some cash reserves for when you're going to have a tenant turnover. Mm-hmm. In commercial real estate, tenants may pay for some of the fit up, but at the same time, if you have a high profile tenant wanting your space, they may want you to do it for them. Mm-hmm. And you may lose a high profile tenant for quite some time on a lease, meaning they're going to offer a long lease. And because of the inability of you to perform the fit up, they may go somewhere else yeah. where they, they will do the fit up for them. So I would say never over leverage in commercial real estate. Prepare in advance for your rate to unlock. Yeah. Work with somebody really good on managing the leases. Have a good property manager that builds good relationships. Maine is still a small town. Yeah. doesn't matter how big the state is. 
And when you have the big guys coming in, try to really negotiate with them because it's going to be a bloody negotiation. And when they go in, they're going to stay there. Yeah. yeah. So All good advice. Yeah. So I want to shift gears because we only have a little bit more time to talk, but I want to talk about the personal training apex. This seems like an equally big part of your life. It's more of like a passion for you. I, um, I would say it's more than that. It's yeah. It's my livelihood. It's it's what allowed me to, you know, leave Little Romania, live in England for a little bit, and go travel the world on cruise ships while doing what I went to college for. I mean, I have mm-hmm. extensive education in the field. It's beyond anything that I I have anybody that I know that has done in terms of mm-hmm. courses and mentorships and places seen and gyms visited and. It's just awesome and I love it and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I'm, I want to create that here in mm-hmm. Maine eventually. By the time so I let's talk about that. <laughs> what, so that's the goal, like grow Apex or grow Apex, tell me what that vision looks like. Grow Apex to find a location where I can start to train trainers to do what I do individually. Um, I learned throughout the years that I can only touch a handful of people at a time. Mm -hmm. I've been fully booked for quite some time and I have the same clients, which a lot of people don't think that that's great, but that is actually the biggest accolade a trainer can have. Most trainers train people for three weeks, six weeks, get them a quick result. But I've done many of those boot camps, and I I can show you plenty of before and after pictures, but Mm -hmm. to train somebody for five years straight, for six, for 10, Mm -hmm. those are the accolades. Somebody yeah. stuck with you. You're doing it yeah. right. They're happy with your service and then they keep coming back. So that's what I want to build. I want to build a place where, where people will come. They will become parents. Their kids will come there and mm-hmm. then their kids will come there. Yeah. And each generation will develop physically, mentally, emotionally to understand that physical fitness is the single best thing that we can do for our own health. And, and working on cruise ships gave me that mentality. I've met many, many wealthy people that were very unhealthy and they would mm-hmm. spend a lot of money just trying to get some health back. And I know that sounds like such a cliche taken out of a book, mm-hmm. but man, when you work and, and you recycle three to 4,000 people a week and, and you look what's coming in next and you see this, the same desires from the same group of people, they're coming in and they're wearing Rolexes and have diamonds and talk about their houses in Boca Raton and some other house somewhere else. And yeah. the one thing that they don't have is their health. You're like, I'm sensing the pattern here. This yep. is this is interesting. So there is some trade off in life. It seems yeah. like for things, and it's normal. Yeah. Some some trade off is normal. I mean, I have a two year old, and since since she hit one, I'm not training five to six days a week in the gym. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I want to be home. So I'm training two to three and I mm-hmm. try to be mindful of things. So I'm not completely trading off my health, but also want to spend time with her. She's never going to be two and a half again, ever. <laughs> Tell me about yeah. it, man. Time flies by. You'll, yeah. you'll see. Well, I know, I know I'm already blinking and she's too tall. Yeah. She's chasing around the, the house. She's hitting the, the corner table over there. I'm like, when did you grow? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what does working with you look like then? Is it, Personal training sessions, is there nutrition type stuff? What does it all look like? So I develop my business model to serve the client best. Ideally, I always tell people that personal training should be the entry service that everybody comes in. 
I have not met in 15, 16 years of doing this. I've started working at a gym in 2007. This is going to be my mm-hmm. 16th year. 16 years of doing this, I have not encountered a client that walked in through the gym door and they put a barbell on their back and they squat or they pick up a kettlebell and they do a perfect swing or a snatch or yeah. whatever the case may be. People need cueing. They need to understand their own body. They've been told by the internet a lot of things. Don't do this. Don't do that. Your back's going to break if you do this. Your knees are going to shatter if you're going to do that. It's like we're all made of something <laughs> that is made in China. But I, I would always say personal training is the best thing to start. And then we have different programs. Um, mm-hmm. We have a small group personal training. Then we have a group class. And I also have individualized program design. For all of this, I use a software to keep track of everything. So everybody has their own account and an app we have. Everybody's monitoring weights, reps, etc. So I have volume. I have so many things that I look through their volume, their intensity, the exercise selection. And I'm able to look back years back or plan ahead quite a little bit. I work with a lot of fighters when I was back in Romania. And even now I've done kickboxing since I was very, very young. I played professional rugby. So I actually just helped one of the fighters from recon that had his amateur debut Saturday night at New England fights MMA. He was the first card on the list. He won by first round knockout with his camp and his kickboxing. So his striking. So I did both with him. So I want all of this under one roof. I do nutrition Mm -hmm. with them, with everybody. Mm -hmm irrespective of the service that it is. And I do not charge as an extra because nutrition is a very important part of having a healthy, balanced life. If people want to do nutrition separately and they don't want to work with us, we do have a fee for that. So they can come in and we we do nutrition consultation and whatnot. But that is not an actual add-on that gets added on to personal training. It's just a part of that. What people do have to do is monitor. So they mm-hmm. do have to input their food into the app. They do have to input their weight. So th- there is a give and take here. It's not like I chase them around like, did you eat, Randy? What did you eat? How much? <laughs> did you let me wait for you before you eat it? And it's I give good it back though, to man. You. It sounds like it might be tedious, but it, there's something to tracking. There's accountability. You're really seeing what you're doing. It's it's good, man. It's the biggest the biggest realization that people have with tracking is the oh shit, look how many calories is in this. I had no yeah. idea. That is the one. Yeah. When they, they look at their meal and they think it's a certain amount and all of a sudden when they put it in my fitness pal or our app because it connects to both, they're like, oh my God, I'm eating a 1500 calorie meal. And I thought I'm just eating a 500 calorie meal. And it was like, yeah. that's why I'm- Huge difference. Weight. Yeah. Creates an awareness, no doubt, no doubt. Absolutely. So, that's cool that you don't charge charge extra for it. No, it's, I mean, probably- it, it's needed. Education and nutrition is needed. Our our society needs it. And if we don't do it right now for our kids, the, the future is grim for the little ones. Yeah, so, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. That was a lot of good info to share. That half hour basically just flew by. It did. But, but a lot of good stuff. Why don't you share the best way to, to find you in Apex and everything that you got going on? Apex-main.com is our website. We're in Falmouth, 60 Gray Road. If you Google us, most likely Apex Personal Training, Falmouth. Google will think I did a decent job with search engine optimization to find us. That sounds good. And I'll be sure to share that stuff as well. And then if anyone needs to reach you for commercial real estate, what's Um, the best way to reach you there? Best way to to find us is through the Magnuson and Balfour website. Any of us would be a, a great, great person to contact doesn't matter 
if it's me or Kirk or Zach or Craig, whomever yeah. they feel more comfortable and which whoever's face looks prettier and they want to pick yeah. that day, I think it's <laughs> going to be a, a really good, really good resource. Awesome. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate you doing it. We got a lot more to talk about. We'll have to do it again sometime. So yeah, absolutely. let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. All right. Thanks, bud. Take care. Yep. Take care.